The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Folks, we're teetering on what could be an economic meltdown, threatening to wash away our savings and retirement. Inflation has surged to levels unseen in 40 years. Gold is the smartest and most responsible investment you can make for you and your family in times like these. A safe haven asset that protects your purchasing power and your wallet from inflation. When it comes to protecting your IRA or 401k, trust only the best. My friends at Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold has earned the highest trust ratings in the precious metals industry and builds relationships based on integrity, expertise, and impeccable service. Get up to $5,000 in free silver on a qualifying purchase when you visit protectwithlou.com today or give them a call at 844-6484-LOU. Don't wait. Take control of your retirement today. Call 844-6484. 84-L-O-U and speak with one of their experts. Time is of the essence. Protect your future with Allegiance Gold. Visit protectwithlou.com or call 844-648-4LOU. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs. Welcome to The Great America Show. Good to have you with us. Well, folks, the Marxist Dems have thrown President Trump off the primary ballot in Colorado. Wow. A panel of seven Democrat-appointed Supreme Court justices, four of them at least, Marxists to the bone, ruling to remove President Trump from the ballot. These four judges are Justice Monica Marquez, Justice Melissa Hart, Justice William Hood, and Justice Richard Gabriel. The three judges who dissented made a very simple argument, reminding the four radicals of the majority in that decision that President Trump was never once found guilty of causing an insurrection, and therefore their argument to remove him for it has no standing. Pretty straightforward, right? But those four judges are of the Jack Smith variety of radical Marxists. The hell with the facts, the hell with the law, gotta get President Trump any way they can, because Trump will smash Biden at the polls in November The U.S. Supreme Court will surely take up this crazy ruling in Colorado. It should take them about 15 minutes to dispense with it. President Trump at a rally in Waterloo, Iowa last night said, this is all part of the Marxist Dems' election interference strategy and that the puppet president is a threat to our democracy. It's no wonder Crooked Joe Biden and the far-left lunatics are desperate to stop us by any means necessary there willing to violate the U.S. constitutions at levels never seen before in order to win this election. Joe Biden is a threat to democracy. It's a threat. They're weaponizing law enforcement for high-level election interference because we're beating them so badly in the polls. Most of the 2024 primary challengers to President Trump have weighed in. The Trump haters Chris Christie and Nikki Haley sounding suddenly a little more reflective, saying the decision was wrong, the decision should be left to the voters. 
Perhaps the most surprising comments came from Ron DeSantis, whose campaign is on the off-ramp to hell. The soon-to-be-failed presidential candidate says the reason they threw President Trump off the ballot is to make sure he's the nominee and not DeSantis. Do you get that? I mean, the logic? It's just really very deep. DeSantis is the target of the left, not the man they've persecuted for eight years. Right? DeSantis is cracked. Here's the larger thing of what the left and the media and the Democrats are doing. They're doing all this stuff to basically solidify support in the primary for him, get him into the general, and the whole general election is going to be all this legal stuff. And look, it's unfair. Uh, They're abusing power 100%. But the question is, is that going to work? Um, And I think they have a playbook that unfortunately will work, uh, and it'll give Biden or the Democrat or whoever the ability uh, to skate through this thing. That's their plan. That's what they want. What they don't want is to have somebody like me. Not only has DeSantis proven himself to be lower than a snake's belly, but the man is clearly delusional. What was it the Trump campaign said about Ron DeSantis's next job? I think it was something along the lines of Ron has a great future as a pizza delivery driver because he won't work in politics ever again. They may be right. Someone who has been a great cheerleader for the president, despite challenging him on the campaign trail, is Vivek Ramaswamy. He says if Trump isn't on the ballot in Colorado, he wants to be removed as well. And he's calling on all the other candidates to follow. I'm making a pledge today that I will withdraw. I pledge to withdraw from the Colorado GOP primary ballot unless and until Trump's name is restored. And I demand that Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie and Nikki Haley do the same thing or else these Republicans are simply complicit in this unconstitutional attack on the way we conduct our constitutional republic. I refuse to be complicit in that. I think what they're doing is wrong. And I think it's up to Republicans to step up and stand up with a spine for our country's future. That's really what's at stake. Whether we the people actually have a say in deciding who leads this country. Good for Ramaswamy for being the only one in the race with a conscience, it seems. How nuts are the Colorado Marxists? Well, the state Republican Party has said they will consider changing the primary process to a caucus should the Supreme Court uphold this unconstitutional ban. These people in Colorado are losing it. New York, already set to run a $9.5 billion deficit next year, has just created a committee to consider reparations for the descendants of slavery. Marxist Governor Kathy Hochul signing the legislation to authorize the creation of a community commission that will study the history of slavery in New York State and what reparations could look like. New York is looking to add to the deficit and write more checks to the descendants of slavery. How about reparations instead for the descendants of the soldiers in the Northern Army, the Union Army, the New York people who went to war to free the slaves? Hundreds of thousands were killed to free the slaves. So give me a break, Kathy Hochul. Let's turn now to the culture war on college and university campuses. High school students are rejecting early Harvard acceptance now as anti-Semitism continues to plague the scandal-ridden Ivy League institution. This year, Harvard reported a 17% decline in early applications. That represents a four-year low. The acceptance rate rose up to 8.7% from 7.6% last year. 
Good on the parents and the children for rejecting the anger and anti-Semitism that is running rampant on university campuses. Our guest today is Dr. Carol Swain. She knows something about all of this. Dr. Swain is an award-winning political science scholar. She's the author of the book, The Adversity of Diversity, How the Supreme Court's Decision to Remove Race from College Admission Criteria Will Doom Diversity Programs. Carol, it's great to have you with us. I have to say I'm sorry for all the controversy that's been visited upon you by a plagiarist of your work and a prominent one at that. Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard University. What was your first reaction when you realized she had plagiarized your scholarship? Well, I can tell you that I came home Sunday over a week ago from a Christmas service at my church. And the first phone call I got was from Dr. Art Laffer. And Art does not normally call me at home. And so I'm thinking, is something wrong? And then he asked me, had I heard about the scandal that the president of Harvard University had plagiarized her work and that I was one of the persons she had plagiarized from. And then I started to get phone calls and texts. One of the calls was from a former student who was in Hong Kong and news reporters started calling that evening. But I did not know that Chris Rufo was conducting the research. Well, I want to compliment Christopher Rufo because he has been uh, extraordinary, diligent, and uh, uh, and committed to the truth in in bringing this story forward. Uh, He is just an outstanding investigator uh, and uh, and reporter of uh, what he uh, unearths. This is remarkable. I have to say that if she has built her career, it looks like at least in part on your your work. Well, I had forgotten the title of my dissertation, but it was the politics of black representation in the U in U.S. congressional districts. Right. And yeah, she her work is derivative of my work, and the book Black Faces, Black Interests: The Representation of African Americans in Congress that was published in 1993, updated in 1995, and republished in 2006. It won immediately three national prizes, including the highest prize a political scientist can win. And it was uh, selected by Library Choice as one of the outstanding books of 1994. And it has been cited by numerous lower court decisions as well as the Supreme Court, three citations. It was considered pathbreaking, the seminal work in the area of minority representation in Congress and it had implications for districting and the whole debate about whether or not white voters would support black candidates. I was in the forefront of saying that they would and that when black candidates lost, it wasn't necessarily because of their race that blacks tend to be more liberal than whites. And so it was pathbreaking and I was disappointed. Like when I first learned that my work was part of the work that she had stolen from, I thought it could have been an accident. I was gonna give her the benefit of a doubt. And I even joked that imitation was the highest form of flattery and that her committee would bear some responsibility. But then the next day when I started looking at her published articles, I felt that she had not adequately acknowledged my path-breaking work. She had a citation here or there, but I did not feel that was adequate. 
So I was very sad because I knew she was going to get fired. There was too much uh, evidence of plagiarism for her to keep her job. But when Harvard announced that they were going to keep her and that she was going to get to make corrections, I was livid and it took me days to calm down and I'm calm now. Well, you're, you're, <laughs> you're calm now, but you're also very much correct. Uh, Harvard University, uh, and I, as you know, I am an alum, and when I was in that institution just a short while ago, uh, maybe uh, uh, going back a few centuries, but whatever, uh, there was one there was one sin that was committed, and this was during the the sixties. That one sin that Harvard didn't forgive was plagiarism. Uh, you not only were thrown out of school, but you were expunged, uh, as the as the word was used. Uh, there was not a record of you ever having been there. You wouldn't uh, didn't even get to Cambridge. You, you, you never uh, walked across Harvard Yard. Uh, and now we have a situation where it's outright plagiarism. It's obviously intentional plagiarism because she selected more than just a little of your work uh, and followed in your footsteps. I think it's fair to say. It's it is quite remarkable what the board, the the uh, the Harvard Corporation board did, uh, what the trustees are doing, uh, and and you have styled this uh, as elitism, uh, and I I love the expression that you used there. Uh, that there is this condescension, my word, uh, of uh, lower expectations for quote-unquote pedigreed uh, minorities, uh, referring to uh, Claudine Gay as a pedigreed uh, minority. She is indeed that. Uh, but what, what, is your, what is your thinking about how this is going to resolve? Well, as far as me, uh, my statement about minorities with the right pedigree being treated differently, that is based on observations of mine having taught at Princeton, been tenured there, and sat on admissions committees and saw situations where higher scoring minorities without the right pedigree, they had higher scores, they were passed over for minority students that, that came from more affluent backgrounds. And the reasoning was that the uh, pedigree blacks would fit in better. And so that was my first glimpse of how affirmative action really works. And I also saw summer programs, minority programs, that would have only one or two token disadvantaged minorities. And those programs were supposed to prepare students uh, for college to be able to apply and, and, and be admitted to institutions like uh, Princeton. So even there in those programs, there was a bias. So that's a little bit of background on that comment. What is to happen? One reason that I'm pursuing this and I'm not walking away is that I believe it has implications for higher education more broadly, but it will also trickle down to K through 12 because if Harvard University decides it can redefine plagiarism and that there are different levels of plagiarism and that it's acceptable for racial and ethnic minorities to engage in it. We all know that Claudine Gay, if she were a white male or a white female, she would have been fired by now. And there's a double standard that harms all of us. It doesn't just harm black people who have worked hard to meet the standards, 
and other racial and ethnic minorities, but it harms American education, which is already in decline. And that's the major reason why I can't walk away from this, because I care too much about the educational system in America to allow that to go unchallenged. Well, good for you. And uh, Carol, I think you're doing exactly, I, I know you do what's right no matter what, but let me tell you, uh, I appreciate what you're doing for the, it, it, by the way, uh, Harvard University is a beneficiary of your criticism and your stand. Uh, and I think that uh, we're going to see quite a change uh, in that institution. And I hope lots of others, because this is just not going to stand uh, with the alums of uh, Harvard University, uh, no matter what a $50 billion corporation with, uh, with all of that money uh, says. I mean, this is this could be existential. I truly believe this could be existential for Harvard as a uh, a once elite uh, Ivy League institution, if not the preeminent institution in the country. We're talking with Dr. Carol Swain. Please stay with us. We're coming right back. This goes deeper than uh, than race. Uh, it goes deeper uh, than uh, simple uh, prejudice. Uh, this is something that is uh, percolating, I believe, in our in our society, and we've got to contend with it uh, in uh, nearly every way imaginable. We'll be back with Dr. Carol Swain. Stay with us. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. We're back with Dr. Carol Swain. And I, I want to uh, quote uh, from what uh, Carol has written, uh, saying that uh, she writes responding to uh, Claudine Gay's uh, disastrous congressional testimony and the, her plagiarism. I write as one of the scholars whose work Ms. Gay plagiarized. She failed to credit me for sections from my 1993 book, Black Faces, Black Interest, the Representation of African Americans in Congress, and an article I published in 97, Women and Blacks in Congress, 1870 to 1996. The damage to me extends beyond the two instances of plagiarism identified by researchers Christopher Rufo and Christopher Brunet. Uh, I, I think that's a powerful statement, and you are owed at least an apology directly, personally, in my opinion, Carol, from uh, Gay uh, and from the board. Have you received it from either? I have not heard from anyone from Harvard 
and I plan to starting on the 22nd, take some time off. And at the first of the year, I will look at my options. But I do believe that she harmed me in a way that other people were not harmed. And that has to do with the fact that her work is pretty, is clearly derivative of my work. And I believe that that it was a, a long-term harm because in academia, your statue is determined by how many citations you have. So if someone is borrowing from your work and they're not adequately citing you, and I looked at her published articles, the American Political Science Review article, one that she has to go back and make corrections in, but she has my name in the bibliography, but she doesn't adequately explain why she's asking the question she is and how it ties into my work. And I see the same pattern in her dissertation, which I just started to read. And there's a lot of intellectual dishonesty that's not exactly plagiarism, because it's not necessarily sections of my work that's in these publications that I saw, but what I did see was the ideas were ideas that clearly hmm. came from my work, but you wouldn't know that if you were reading her work, you would think that she came up with, with her own questions and you wouldn't know she was building on the work of another scholar. And so I feel, you know, cheated out of citations that I would have gotten if she had adequately uh, cited my work. You know, as I understand, it would have been a simple matter for her to have uh, used quotation marks, given attribution to you, cited your work and your uh, books and uh, articles, uh, and it would not have been an issue. Uh, it's I don't even understand uh, why well, I, I, the motivation clearly. Well, I understand. I understand all of it. I believe, and part of it again, the argument that I'm making is that her work is derivative of my work, and even those. Uh, two places where there's clear plagiarism, one a paragraph, another a few sentences, uh, the, those could have been addressed by quotation marks and appropriate right. citations. But my argument is that her whole research agenda borrows from my research. And normally as a scholar, when you build on the re research of another scholar, you make, make it clear that you're building on that research either to challenge it to affirm it or to expand it, but you don't pretend that it doesn't exist. Right. And in many ways, I would say that what Claudine Gay did was ignore uh, parts of my research that was relevant to her research that she should have been citing. Some of that has to do with the fact that in the mid 1990s, when the affirmative action debate was taking place, I believe that some of this has to do with, I became increasingly more conservative I started supporting race-neutral, uh, means-tested affirmative action when all the elites were moving in a different direction. Right. Plus, Black faces, Black interests argued that political party was more important than the race of the representative and that white representatives could represent uh, Blacks and Blacks can represent whites and, and, and that there was a trade-off between descriptive representation, having more black faces in office and substantive representation, having more people who can support your agenda. My book was considered controversial and I was threatened by black scholars during the time I was at Princeton. Uh, and I was called a conservative for publishing that book. At the time I was a good Democrat. So my book itself 
was not something that the political left wanted to see and hear. And I think that that could have had something to do with the decision that she made to try to pursue work that would counter what I was saying without acknowledging where she was getting her ideas from. Yeah, it's it, there is so much more here than what has been touched upon by the popular press, uh, and amongst the things that are, are not being uh, considered or at least reported on, to me is a, a successful black woman president of Harvard University, copying the work of a successful prominent uh, scholar, uh, Dr. Carol Swain, Professor Carol Swain. Uh, that in itself is a, a, a further betrayal, it would seem to me. Uh, it, do you feel that way? Well, Lou, I would tell you that I started getting canceled before we actually knew what cancel culture was. Because late in the 1990s, I had a Christian conversion experience. Uh, I was a Democrat at the time, but I became increasingly more conservative. And by 2009, I was um, a Republican. And I can tell you that as I became more conservative, I became more marginalized within political science. Mm -hmm. And you may know the details, but in 2015, I was on the faculty of Vanderbilt. I published a, an op-ed piece criticizing Islam. It created a firestorm. I was pro uh, protested on campus and University kept sending out press statements about how I didn't represent them. And I decided to take early retirement in 2017. And when I left in 2017, I had been a professor for 28 years. I basically walked away from the only thing I knew how to do. And, uh, and academia has pretty much been closed to me. But there's a reason why people like Claudine Gay uh, have been able to get away with the things that they've gotten away with. My research ideas have not, for the most part, been ideas that they wanted uh, to be out there. And um, and it's not everyone there. I have supporters in political science. I have supporters in the field of law. And my work, many people see it as prescient. It's always sort of been ahead of its time getting it right. But at the same time, it has been an uphill battle and when I look at the research of black scholars, this, this past summer in August, I went to the American Political Science Association meetings by invitation to be on a panel for black conservatives. When I read the work of black scholars and some of the white liberals, it's like it hasn't changed in 30 or 40 years. They're saying the same things, they're making the same arguments. Uh, it must be the easiest way you know, to make a living because you don't have to think, you don't have to come up with anything. And uh, and, and the passages that she stole from other people's work, they're just pure laziness, laziness, but there's no creativity in her work. Right. She did not meet the standards that other people have had to meet to be tenured at an Ivy League institution. And so that's how I feel. Well, we appreciate you sharing those feelings, and we uh, we share them with you, believe me. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Carol Swain. We're coming right back in just a few moments. Please stay with us. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back with Professor Carol Swain, and I should say, uh, Professor Swain and I have known each other for some time. We're friends. Uh, and when she said she was prescient uh, 20 years ago, she is indeed correct uh, in her uh, in her statement. Uh, she w- was a, a conservative uh, voice talking about serious issues like affirmative action, representation, as she says, and the ways in which uh, the country was moving. Uh, highly suspect then, and we have it uh, confirmed now uh, that uh, the largest institutions in the country in uh, higher education took a wrong path and started it a long time ago. I, I would just like to say, uh, going to this point, you've talked about the, your injury, uh, the harm that Harvard and, uh, and President Gay have done to you. I, I want to say, first of all, after what listening to you, uh, looking at uh, your, the scholarship that she uh, copied and this quote-unquote empire of DEI she created, why didn't Harvard come recruiting you? Because you would have been the better choice. It was your original work. Well, the thing about it is the parts that she borrowed were not the parts that uh, <laughs> I would have been flattered if she had borrowed the parts that actually made the statements that were important about race relations. It was just, you know, laziness. Uh, things that were not the major ideas from the book, as far as I can tell. And I think with other people's work, you know, she borrowed different parts. She didn't borrow the main thesis or the things that were controversial. And when I wrote that book, I was not a, uh, I did not identify as a conservative. I was a Democrat and I did not see myself as being conservative, I wanted to be the best political scientist I could be. And I would have people come up to me after my book was published and say, oh, that is such a great book. It's so amazing. People, can, people can't guess your race by reading your book. And I'm thinking, why should people be able to guess my race by reading my book? Mm-hmm. And my whole approach, even from the very beginning, when I came out on the job market in 1989, was that I refused to apply to minority positions. And back then they would advertise jobs, three minorities would compete against one another, they would hire the best minority or the best black. And I wanted to compete against everyone, the whole, uh, for the job, the American politics jobs, I was applying for as a congressional scholar, I wanted to apply to the jobs everyone else was applying for and compete with the, uh, the full pool and that's what I did. And and so that's something that I've always been different in that when I was in graduate school, 
there were blacks, not graduate school, when I was an undergrad, there were students uh, who told me, it's not just various places, black students told me who all the racist white professors were so that I could avoid their classes. I immediately signed up for their classes and I found out that they were not racist. They were just uh, challenging. They held everyone to a, a high standard. And so, uh, and I also learned that if I impressed those professors, everyone would know my name. And so when I tell my story, like my role models uh, never looked like me. And, and, uh, and I just did not follow that path. I did not follow the path of going through black political scientists and doing all the black stuff. So there are reasons why um, Harvard and other institutions, they're not necessarily interested in blacks that are not celebrated by other blacks. Right. And so when they hire black people, you got to fit in with the, the other blacks have to pass uh, on you pretty much for the. I want to I want to go to your suggestion, because all of this is arising at the same time that uh, President Gay didn't have the courage to say that genocide uh, would be a, a, an issue at Harvard. Uh, it would be harassment at the very least. Uh, that seems to me to be a very low bar, but one that she didn't pass, nor did the president of MIT, nor the president of UPenn. You know, it's interesting to me that not a single president has been fired. Uh, the the president of UPenn uh, is no longer president, but she just simply moved over to a professorship, as I understand it, at the law school. Uh, and, Claude, uh, and Claudine Gay uh, is still in the job and, is, and, the, and the board is proudly supporting her. This is a tacit, is it not, affirmation of violent hate speech? Uh, on the campus? Well, I can tell you that with Claudine Gay, Harvard is in a conundrum. They don't know how to depose of their first ever black president. And DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is also the subject of my latest book, The Adversity of Diversity. Uh, I mean, she could be the poster child because the progressives who want her they don't care about standards. They care about looks. You look at the Biden cabinet and they would tout that they had the most diverse uh, cabinet in American history. We all know it's the most incompetent in American history. They don't care about qualifications. It's all about identity uh, politics. And one thing, Lou, that I did not pay attention to until it was too late was all the time I was at uh, Princeton, and even uh, you know, during the early years at Vanderbilt, there was all this critical theory and deconstructionism and of course, postmodernism. But I was a congressional scholar and pretty much I was interested in policy and I was not paying enough attention. But once Obama got elected, all of a sudden I saw how these theories were being used by people and they were being implemented as policies. They were guiding policies and the infiltration of critical race theory to K through 12 education, that started during the Obama administration as well as restorative justice. And so all of these elites that were surrounding me uh, and talking about ideas, because I heard people openly talk about that it would be better for America if it was not a majority white country. And, uh, and so there were people that clearly saw immigration as a way to make sure. America better because you could make it non-white. They talked openly about these ideas and I had not 
really studied Marxism, never took any courses on Marxism until late in my career. Those last few years before I left Vanderbilt, that's when I started studying our Marxism and neo-Marxism. And, and I started putting, putting it all together, what they had done. And so how they were able to put out this vision. They kept talking about reimagining, reimagining, reimagining this. And they have not only reimagined America, I mean, they've actually been able to implement it. Yeah. And for myself, you know, I wish I had paid more attention when I was at Princeton and paid more attention uh, when I was at Vanderbilt to what was happening around me. Well, we're all paying attention now, and we all know that uh, what you're talking about, the Democratic Party is now under the control, the spell of uh, Marxists. And they're not neo-Marxists, they're Marxists. Uh, they're not uh, somehow uh, a hybrid. They are the real deal, because they mean, they've taken over education, higher education in this country, a good part of public education. They have uh, they control the Democratic Party, as I said, and they control the entire federal government. There isn't a single agency in the federal government that is not under the control of the Marxist Dems. And people don't want to accept that. They don't want to deal with it. They talk about it as a corrupt institution. But the truth is, Marxism is behind all of this, uh, and it is an international movement and one that is being right, reflected being reflected uh, in the anti-Semitism, I believe, uh, that's arising on, on college and university campuses. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, it, it's absolutely true. And the reason I call it neo-Marxism is I was calling it cultural Marxism. And then about maybe six or seven years ago, Google, if you do a search on cultural Marxism, you will get a bunch of articles that will say, even they've changed uh, some dic dictionary definitions that it's a right wing concept and something the right wing came up uh, with. It's anti-Semitic, they say. And so I decided to call it neo-Marxism because, you know, if I'm talking to students, I'm talking to groups and people want to Google what I'm talking about. I think if they Google cultural Marxism, they're going to get a spate of articles that this is just uh, conspiracy theories. Right. But you're right. They are Marxists. It is global. They have infected every institution. They are in uh, medical schools, the medical profession, the military. They have um, pretty much upended America to the point that I don't recognize this country. You know, I think that's true for most of us, Carol. I, I truly do. Uh, Carol, it's been great talking with you. I hope that you'll come back here in the days and weeks ahead and we'll continue the conversation. Uh, I, I want to ask you one last question. Are you going to sue Harvard University? You know something? I don't want to say anything. I'm going to wait until the first of the year and make a decision. But I would have thought by now someone from Harvard would have reached out to me because I am the person uh, who has been injured the most. And Lou, your, your listeners may not know my background, but I was one of 12. I was a high school dropout, um, started at a community college, got five degrees, you know, I have worked my way from the bottom uh, to attain a success. And people like Claudine Gay, they just breeze in, people hand it to them. They don't have to meet uh, the same standards. And so that uh, offends me because I think most Americans believe in the American dream. They want to see people from the bottom be able to make it to the top, not the elites. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're talking about the American dream for all of us. Yes. And we appreciate you being with us, Dr. Carol Swain. Thanks so much, Carol. And look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks, everybody, for being here today. Our guest tomorrow on The Great America Show is author, attorney, and radio host, national security and geopolitics analyst Gordon Chang. Join us here tomorrow as we take up the host of foreign threats to the United States. Follow me on Twitter and Truth Social at Lou Dobbs and on Facebook and Instagram at Lou Dobbs Tonight. Go to LouDobbs.com. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. And may God bless America. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.